What's going on, everybody? Brandon Spano here, obviously. Great guest today, Ryan Konigsberg, RK, my guy, the legend. Yes, he is here. We really get into it, talk about a lot of uh, really interesting stuff, uh, you know, not just DNVR, but our world and the way that the world is changing. So I hope you really, really love this one. Let's jump right to it. Ryan Konigsberg on digital media and DNVR. Ryan, what's up, bro? What's up, man? It's another day. Yeah. Thanks for doing my pod with me. It's been a busy time, man. I feel like uh, I feel like it's the days go by so fast. The weeks fly by, right? It is really crazy. There's like different stages and like certain times you feel like you're uh, you're like dialed in on everything and you can really like perfect things and then there's other times where you feel like you're just like you have a shotgun and you're just like i need to spray this thing as far like, as much as i can like i feel like i like right now is one of those like shotgun times where there's just like 20 different moving parts at any moment you're just like trying to touch touch them as they go by yeah i'm, I'm glad you're in today i feel like i've done a lot of you know uh, different kinds of episodes uh, since you came on the first episode and the industry just in this short time six months or whatever it's been has changed a lot and and uh, you know it seems like it shifts every six months and um, last couple guests Edward Edgar and and tall I had on uh, and even the solo pod I did um, you know, I had Jack on, um, all kind of digital based stuff. So I want to kind of lean this up against that conversation and continue some of those talking points a little bit. And the big thing that everyone's talking about right now is this independent creator driven media. And what I've been wondering is if we collected kind of a bunch of independent creators and put them in a network and let them kind of independently create before we even knew that independent creator was a thing like far before Substack was even a, a thought in all of these different things you know yeah I absolutely like that's a hundred percent what we did and you know I remember in our one of our first meetings, you know, at the time we were talking about me running the Buffs beat, and you're just like, the Buffs beat will be like exactly what you want it to be. It's mm. going to be your baby. Like, you'll build it from scratch. Like, we'll obviously have some things that we want. We want a general goals that we want to hit, but like, it's going to be yours. Um, and what I think is really, really powerful is when you get all those independent creators, and then get them all working for one common goal. Yeah. Because for too long and forever, I feel like the journalists and the creators have felt like just a pawn in the scheme. You know, like mm -hmm. there are some people who you see work for the newspapers who are like really passionate about newspaper. And sure. so they like feel really passionate about the Denver Post or whatever they're working for. But most people feel like undervalued, I think. They feel like they're they're just a piece there, even though they are passionate about their beat or what they're doing. And... um I think where we kind of hit a little bit of a gold mine, for lack of a better term, is by having something that everyone felt ownership in, because every, everyone does have ownership in it. Uh, and so you have that independent creator energy with this common goal uh, teamwork that I think that we have. And I think that is, I think that's like the, that's like the powerful force. It's, 
the independent creator is amazing. Like just like in basketball, you need quite literally an independent creator, someone who can create their own shots on the floor. But if that's all you have, then, you know, you're going to score points and lose games. Well, that kind of leads me into my, my next question, which was, uh, you know, what I keep hearing is people wondering um, are things like Substack um, or like what OnlyFans was supposed to be, right, before it became like an independent Substack, porn site. Substack really is OnlyFans for journalists. It, it really is. It really is the, the OnlyFans for journalists. But um, these things, as these things grow, um, what's the other one uh, that you can donate? Patreon. Patreon. So as that industry grows... I think what a lot of people wonder is are companies like us going to lose people, you know? And it seems like kind of based on what you were saying, you know, to me, I don't, I don't think so because of that. Also because of, I don't know if everyone wants to manage their own business and manage themselves as a business. I think some people just want to create and say, Hey, go and monetize this. So uh, this is going to, I'm really going to be showing my boulder here, but when I was in high school, uh, I was on the golf team and I love golf. Anyone who knows me knows I love golf, but four years on the golf team, golf is a completely independent sport. You are an independent creator in golf. It's only you. Uh, but you know, there's team scores and whatever. So, you know, you're on the team, but it's so independent. And by the time I got to my senior year, I missed team sports so much. I wanted to be a part of something. I wanted to, you know, have someone to, to have my back if I wasn't having my best day or I could have someone else's back if they weren't having their best day. And um, again, showing my boulder here, I joined the ultimate Frisbee team, which like is so incredibly bolder. But <laughs> it really scratched that itch for me. Like I, I had more fun on that team than I did ever playing golf in high school. And it it was this like common goal working together to achieve something awesome and yes we happened to win state the state championship that year but that's aside from the point the point was i did all this independent and i just i wanted to be a part of something and i think that there's something to really be said for that now i think there's a lot of people who will go on to be really successful just doing independent but there i believe there's really something to be said for having a team, having a Slack channel, having people to fall back on, you know, when you're sick or whatever, you need help. Uh, you want to bounce an idea off someone like to me, that will never go away. People are always going to have a craving for that. Some people won't, but a lot of people will. I will say I ran into Frisbee golf, TikTok a few times different from ultimate Frisbee. Okay. There's a dude, there's a couple, there was a hole <laughs> in one. I saw there's a hole in one. I saw this guy was standing on the top of a hill and it's like, the green goes down the hill and curves around these pine trees where the thing, and this guy literally threw this thing. And I mean, it looked like a video game where he was just flying it around the course <laughs> right into the thing. I couldn't believe ever since I saw that, I'm like, okay, sh well shit. Frisbee golf might be like <laughs> super legit. That looked incredible. I mean, Frisbee golf, <laughs> Frisbee golf is an amazing sport. Why? Because it's free. There's free courses. Like, all over Colorado. So all you need is your, you know, your Frisbee and you can go play it. Whereas golf, you know, you're, you're uh, going deeper into the hole every time Don't you play. Don't people actually have like different Frisbees though? They've got like short yeah. range and long range and like a putter Frisbee and stuff. When I was like a, I think a senior in college, <laughs> me and my buddies got into it a little bit. And like, there was like, I, I always just had one disc and you know, a couple of them like 
started taking it more and more seriously. You know, you got your driver and you've got your fairway, <laughs> you've got your putter. We're like, dude, calm down. Do they really matter, those different Frisbees? Well, if you think about it, like, the driver one is made for distance and made for you to be able to, like, work it. Like, a putter, you just want it to fly sh perfectly straight, you know, so you can just throw it I'll right I'll say up this. As, so, just so you guys know, if someone were to have a full set of Frisbee golf Frisbees, it would be Ryan. This is a man <laughs> Not me. that shows up to Top Golf with his clubs. Yes. This is a guy that shows up to the bowling alley with his shoes and his custom ball. Saves money if you have your I own mean, shoes. <laughs> I, I've had the same uh, bowling ball since I was in sixth grade. And, you know, once once it's yours, you just – when you try to roll it with something else, it doesn't feel the same. Same thing with golf. Like, I'm, not, I'm trying when I go to top golf, I'm, I'm trying to have fun, but I'm also trying to practice golf. So, you get – you know, you get the best of both worlds. Okay, let's, let's switch uh, uh, gears here a little bit. Real quick, do you agree with me on that, though, that – there's something and like I think our team is special in a lot of regards so I don't know if it's comparable to the, the way things are going at a lot of places that might be similar to us across the country uh, even though I don't think there are that many of those I don't know if people feel that like team camaraderie at like the newspaper I, I'm not saying they do or don't but do you do you agree with the idea that people want to be a part of something at least a lot of people want to be a part of something you know, have a team around them that they're working together with? Yeah, I actually really do. I, um, one thing, as you know, that has been something that I've really spent a lot of time thinking about and talking through, and we even as a partner group kind of did some exercises around it, is just the why of what we do. And I really believe that people, uh, you know, by memberships to DNVR because of what we stand for and what we're trying to do and what we mean to the city and, 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 and what we mean to each other and the community and the culture and the reasons why we do all this. I don't even necessarily think that it is because, and they listen because of that and they buy merchandise because of that. Um, like I, I, we aren't like this super savvy group of business people that know how to do like this elaborate conversion marketing and all this stuff. Like we literally just go out there with our why and uh, the people who can identify with it, they appreciate it and they want to support it. And, and so uh, just to answer your question, I say all that because I think that I, I don't think that that's just, on the customer side, I think that that's on the employee side as well, um, and and I think that the people that mean the most to the company and to the people who uh, enjoy what we write or record or you know a stream, whatever we're doing um, or create, you know, they're people that. Um, are, are all kind of on the same mission together. And so uh, I, I guess that's my, my long way of, of saying that that's the difference. And I think that if you create a culture around that, um, you know, that, that that's really what people want to be a part of, that's something that you can't do on your own. You know, unless you do it on your own and then you start something and other people come around you and then you're just a company again. Right. And, you know. Yeah, and I want to also say, like, I love the fact that, you know, journalists can 
do things like Substack and Patreon sure. uh, and, and profit off of that because Absolutely. I don't think you should be forced into a box where like, you know, when you go to journalism school, they're telling you like, okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to apply and you're going to get a job in South uh, Black Hills, South Dakota. You're going to start at that market at the TV station. You're going to work your way out and like, there's been this like path forever or like you got to start at like the Pueblo chieftain or whatever yeah, it is yep, and then yep. like work your way, you right. know, and like, I just like the idea that you can be like, I just, I believe in my content. So I'm going to just give people an opportunity to come get it. You know? Yeah. I, I love this quote that says, um, from Simon Sinek, it says it, it wasn't Martin Luther King Jr. Who changed America. It was the millions of people that Martin Luther King Jr. Inspired who changed America. And so it's, um, essentially like, this isn't the guy who did it, but he had a mission and a why that was so big and it was so important to him that other people adopted it and it created this big movement and that's what changed everything, you know? Uh, and people want to be a part of that. People yeah, want to be a part of big things. And I think that that's also why you see mediums die. If you just go back to the business side of this, uh, the newspaper model's not super compelling right now. Um, you know, it's not for, for obvious reasons. Um, and, and anything that doesn't power the individual, uh, and, and doesn't empower, you know, people, uh, the, the less empowerment it gets, uh, it, it's like the less other people are interested in being a part of it uh, on the like work side of it. So, you know, I think that with Substack, for example, as I'm kind of talking in circles here, but in Substack, you're empowering a bunch of creators to be able to create, and then they're empowering people that want to support them. So it's kind of the same thing. But I do think that to tie, tie this all together, that if somebody who was trying to do the same thing as this creator were to go to them and say, hey, why don't you come and join our group? Let's do this bigger. Let's give you more resources, um, You know, maybe even make it more monetizable for you and all you have to focus on is creating, then I think that you win with that. Absolutely. And it just, you know, it, it's a cool, it's a cool thing. And I think there's always going to be place for both. Um, you know, for a long time, like if you're a big fan of a team and you create like really good content, like you ended up at like a blog, you know, making next to nothing. I love the idea that like, you know, I was on the free balling podcast last night. That's just three buffs fans who yeah, really want to make a podcast. Yeah. And now they have a pa they have Patreons and they're making money off of that for just doing something they're passionate about because people like it. I love that. I love that you know they that you can make money off of creating for people without like having to make that your full time job or without having to you know join some corporation that you know is going well, to. Try one and thing take we talk about, I think we said this term on, on your very first pod, and we talk about it all the time leading from the crowd instead of the stage, and. Things like Substack are totally like that. Yep. You know, um, it, it's like these people are creating on the same level as me as a reader <clears throat> or a subscriber or a viewer or whatever. And that's the big difference. That's the thing that the traditional media really, really has a tough time with. That's what The Athletic has a tough time with because they said, hey, we're just going to leverage the the newspaper model. We're going to get all the sports writers, put them on this thing, charge a subscription price. But they're still on that big stage and they're still, you know, kind of not hanging out with the people on Twitter and they're still kind of, hey, I'm a big, I'm a journalist guy and stuff. And I'm not speaking negatively about, 
you know, uh, American journalism. It is an important thing. But the way that you treat people will ultimately determine, like, I think in the next generation, whether or not you have, like, a paying job in media. I think it's that important. It's like, and, and no one can be perfect about responding to their Twitter totally, mentions totally, or anything like that. Of course. But it's actually, like, hard for me to imagine asking people to like pay this subscription and then just ignoring them when they want to talk to me like yeah and i see it all the time you know i'm not just guessing like i'll go look at the mentions of someone who works for the athletic or something and i'll see you know seven or eight questions from people who i assume are their subscribers and you know support them and believe in them and they're just ignored and i'm just like man that just seems crazy to me like to me the people that I love this job so much. And the people that uh, are our members uh, and support us are the only reason why I get to do this. And so like to that, like not only do I enjoy talking with them, I feel like I owe it to them to interact with them because they, you know, they empower me to do this. Let's, let's uh, move this. I want to talk about really, this is kind of out of left field, but I feel like this is, in our ballpark still just because it's a part of this digital paradigm shift so uh announcement today uh this is uh what is this thursday uh, warner brothers uh will send their entire 2021 movie slate 2021 right so they're already saying right all, all next year everything that we have planned to enter theaters next year we're dropping into hbo max now we will still, they're saying, hey, we're still going to drop them in theaters um, if you want to do that. But if you don't, it's going to be available on our subscription service. And listen listen to the list. I mean, these are like huge budget, budget films. This list includes Suicide Squad, The Matrix 4, wow. Dune, Godzilla vs. King Kong, Space Jam, A New Legacy, um, Tom and Jerry, the, Mortal, the official Mortal Kombat movie. Um, let's see. There's a bunch on here. I'm trying to see if anything. So, so you get the point. Yeah. Like pretty much all of these like huge box office smashes. Well, um, and they're just dropping. They're gonna drop them on their digital streaming service. Well, let me ask you this. When's the last time you went to the movie theater? Well, I actually <laughs> Davin wanted to go to the movies, <laughs> and we masked up and went to the movies about two months ago. And we were there was one other party in the theater. It was yeah. kind of weird, actually. So it's kind of weird. This this is like but I wouldn't have went if my son didn't ask me to go. This is like an extreme example, but Allie and I just had our four year anniversary okay. a couple weeks ago. In our in the entire time that we've been together, we've never gone to a movie together. Wow. So I so I haven't been to a movie theater in at least four years. Yeah, I would say me and Lindsay have been together six years, and the first year we actually went to quite a few movies, and the second year and then. We I don't know if we we it's been years since we've been to a movie. And yeah. that, and when's the last time you streamed a movie at your house? Oh, this weekend. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. So like, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um. Now it's kind of sad because I feel like we just like today was like a monumental day in like the death of the m- movie theater. Yeah. Like that sucks. Um. Yeah. But this is where like this is where we are. I would. I mean, as been proven time and time again throughout the last at least four years of my life, I'll watch a older movie that I maybe have never even heard of from the comfort of my couch before I'll pay to go watch 
a box office hit to go watch a movie somewhere else. Like the allure, I think there's a lot of things that have played into this. One, just the fact that we now have that streaming ability at the at our fingertips at any moment. But also like, you know, TVs have gotten better. Like imagine the the comparison of like when you had like a little TV that you had to like smack on the side to get it to work sometimes versus when you went to a movie theater and there's this massive mm. screen. Like now everyone has a massive screen in their living room. It's not nearly that the big. Surround sound but yeah, so like yeah. the the difference in experience isn't what it used to be. And it's kind of this like it, it perfectly ties back into our industry, you know. There there used to be this great allure and there's people who still really feel this way because it's part of their routine of opening up the newspaper and, you know, scrolling through, you know, reading through it and checking the baseball standings. Like I remember I used to, my grandparents got yep. the paper and whenever I was at their house, I would like open it up and scroll over and see the Rockies probably in last place. Back page. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, I wanted to see like what, where Todd Helton's batting yep, average yep, yep, ranks. Totally. Yep. Yeah. And like the NFL transactions, I always look for those transactions yeah. you would see and they would come out on like, it would be like every Wednesday or Thursday is or something like that is when they would be. And then they'd be on there the rest of the week too, or they would add them. But I, I would always look for those and see. It's like, oh, we, we signed who? Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. So that used to be a thing. And that was like cool. And at one point, there was no other options. Then eventually, you know, the internet came around. But like the thought of like going to your computer and like booting up your AOL and like all that stuff just to like go check a score or whatever, or like the transaction wire still was like a thing. Now, you could tell me any bit of information oh, dude how about when you're in the press box and they still have those guys calling into the radio station and saying like hey you know bob here at uh you know mile high stadium and it's it's in power field sorry and uh you know it's the third quarter here and the broncos just intercepted the ball it's 14 whatever the, mm -hmm. but the thing is is like you know, you always hear that in the press box, right? You hear that guy doing that because he has to call into Turner or, or whatever the different these different syndicates are. And the crazy thing about that, I never even understood what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's what they're doing. So they're literally calling into a station because when radio started uh, in in television, uh, only one or two games would be streamed would would be broadcasted rather. Right. And so to find out what was going on, they literally had reporters in each stadium and the reporters would call in for the halftime report or the commercial break from a telephone and give you an update of what's going on in the field because no one in the country had any other way to find out what happened in that game. Well, that never changed. That so that has stuck. So now like KOA and stuff is still using these these companies, these radio companies are still using these guys to call in and give updates even though we all have these on our phone and we can find out instantly what's going on anywhere. The press box is a perfect example. Like they like uh, sometimes they come around and hand you a sheet of paper. Well, I mean, just the fact that they hand you the stats. I'm like, yo, I've been checking the stats after every single play on this uh, website that updates them instantly. Like, I don't need you to hand me a piece of paper with the with the box score from the first quarter. And, uh, you know, there are still some uh, old school journalists who appreciate that. But um, going back to my original point, like. The movie theater has just been like rendered a lot less important than it used to be just the way that because we can do it from the comfort of our own home just the way that the newspaper 
is not as important as it used to be because you could just wake up and check the news from your bed with your phone. Yeah, what's crazy is most of the people who want, who lobby for keeping the paper around are just want to just because. Just because... It's the, the paper, the you know, of society. Yeah, yeah, but but there's no actual like feasible reason why the paper should exist, you know, in in its physical form at least. For sure, yeah, I it, could understand why the journalism the that's still done in the there. paper, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And that's that's a, a hard you know line to draw with, totally newspaper people because totally, totally there is like something cool about being in print. It's just the same way that my mom calls me and asks me when I'm going to be on the Broncos TV show. You know, right. she wants to see me on her TV screen, even though, like, she can hook her TV screen up to YouTube and watch me at any time. It's just different, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, like, that's like the only case for it, is it's just like, oh, well, print is kind of cool. Yeah, you know, um, you know, what's funny is that one thing that has really impacted the way that sports is covered is the you know i don't want to say the death of the newspaper it's it's still alive there's a couple of them that are still going pretty strong but um the decimation of of that industry you know what happened was sports reporters because they were newsroom reporters and they were in the newsroom covering things with real journalists and 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 they were real journalists right i'm not saying they weren't but all of these important journalists right people that are um making sure they're holding the mayor accountable and covering these super important civil cases and covering civil rights movements and all of these things um these sports reporters were in the same room as them and they kind of acted like that mm -hmm. and they covered sports really seriously enough. So to where at some point we said, what the fuck are we doing yeah. covering sports like this? Yeah. Um, and why is this so serious? This is so dumb the way that we're talking about this. And what's happened is um, a lot of people that haven't been in the newsroom are covering sports the way that it should seems be. naturally should be covered right like the 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 basic common sense way to cover an event that fans cheer for in a game right like think of those words fan cheer game sports all of the, right like and, and for some reason you know uh it's somewhere along the way words like hard truths uh, came into this foray. And it's like, uh, and that's the one that we always joke about internally when people say, how are you going to tell the hard truths? Bro, we're covering football, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, get out of here. The hard truths are in, in the stats, right? Uh, the record, that's the hard truth in sports. But, I mean, it, it, it's like a, an association thing. You said it perfectly. All these people were in newsrooms and – going to journalism schools and like i went to journalism school so i can say this from experience like in there they're teaching you how to like report on like a presidential election like that's essentially what like the whole thing like revolves around it's like very important breaking big j journalism yeah, hard yeah. news like that's all you that's all the teachers are there for and like even you know the sports classes are kind of they're influenced by this so you just get this really stuffy serious coverage and i think you know you you mentioned it like now you're seeing people it started with kind of the blog era giving people who didn't go to journalism school and 
uh, or never were in a newsroom the opportunity to cover sports and I'll, I'll try to tell this story without naming names so it's going to be very redacted but like when I was first starting as a beat writer um, won't even name which which team I was covering because I've covered a couple uh, the you know the person in charge of the media around there would say things like ex-journalists would never do something like that Ryan if you want to be like ex-journalist oh, then you can't do stuff like oh, that man yeah. and like the whole time in my head you know I, I have respect for these people so I'm not saying this and I'm just say okay yeah you know thanks for for letting me know in my head I'm like I don't want to be like that guy at all yeah, yeah totally <laughs> like I'm trying to be like completely different and in fact someone even once said to me you got to decide are you do you want to be more like Vic Lombardi or do you want to be more like so and so. Jeff Lake yeah, 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 yeah. And like in my head, I'm like, you're like obviously I, Vic Lombardi. Yeah, I definitely want to be more like Vic Lombardi, and you know, Vic is uh, not as loved as he once was. Sometimes around here, I see a lot of people on Twitter complaining. I think about that's him. just Twitter. I do too. But like, like Twitter, you're not even you're not allowed to be cool over a certain amount of time on Twitter before they get you. At some point, they're going to come get us. Hopefully, we last another ten years of coolness. I don't know. I've always loved Vic, and like. The way that he covers sports is the way that I always wanted to because it's fun. He's always been just having fun with this. And, like, I, I even remember, like, I was, like, a freshman in high school. And I think – I don't remember when, when I was. But he did something and, like, he was getting called out about it, like, from a journalistic perspective. And he was just like, I'm not a journalist. I'm an entertainer. And to me, like, while a lot of sports journalists are, are trained journalists – like it sports is about entertainment it, it exists because of entertainment politics doesn't exist because of entertainment or anything like that now it's there are it's become right. entertainment in I mean, a lot of ways athletes are entertainers right. right so sports and entertainment go hand in hand a lot more than sports and journalism go hand in hand so in my head you know they were the person was using that as a bad thing in my head it was it was like a, a indication that i was on the path i wanted to be i do want to be more like uh Vic Lombardi than Jeff Legwald. Now I kind of want to blaze my own path, but if you're asking me who I want to be more like, that's not an insult at all to Jeff Legwald, who does a great job as a beat reporter. That's just never been the, that's never been what my dream was to be. And I think that, you know, that's what, that, that's what makes us a little bit different than what everyone else wants to do. Like we are more entertainment focused. That's not a bad thing. You know, there's people in our industry who might want to paint it as a bad thing, but Sports and entertainment, like I said, are, are a lot more related than sports and journalism. Yeah, the big thing now is that before you used to be judged based on what your peers thought of you. So you couldn't say something like that, like we're saying, like, hey, we're an entertainment company. We're here to make sports more fun. We're here to create communities that are more inclusive, all these things that we talk about, um, because... You know, we're here to be passionate about the teams we cover, right? We say things like that. Before, you couldn't say that because then your peers would judge you negatively, and that is how you were judged. But now, that power's been removed. Now you're judged by the fans. Now you're judged by the people, and the people are louder, and the people have the voice, and the people make the decision. And so now we can openly say that. And if you disagree with that, then you disagree with the fans, and you're wrong. All those people that disagree with that, they're the ones who are wrong now, and they're not going to have a job soon. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to go back to that example, <clears throat> because I don't want to throw Jeff Legwald under the bus, it was Mike Kliss, <laughs> right. the, the, okay. the actual, okay. you know. The, oh, oh and, and just for the record, I just threw it out there because 
he's one of the old names, and so he's he's a guy that you would hear. I, I Jeff is like a classic NFL reporter, NFL Writers Association. Like like he, he's he kills it at what he does. Make no mistake. Yeah, yeah. No one. I, I definitely don't want to be saying like uh, I'm I'm you know all I'm saying is is like if if you were to say. If you were to come in the industry now and someone to say, do you want to be like Jeff Legold? Well, no, you wouldn't want to be. There's no jobs. Like once that job's gone, like that, that's it. Like, but there are no... people who want to be more of a reporter than an entertainer. Well, I think that there's some reporters. I, I think that um, I think that there are going to be a. I think that there's still a need for a reporter. Um, I think that you need a lot fewer of them than you used to. I I think it's going to be interesting to see where this type of stuff goes. Yeah. Um, because yeah. the places that are, uh, I, I just, here's what I would say is I don't think like, to me, I look at a guy like, like Jeff, who's super knowledgeable and, and this is sucks to like make this whole thing about Jeff Legwald, but he's just a current example of a guy who's kind of went all the way to the very, very top of being the best at what he does. And, and he's part, when we talk about the paradigm shift, you have to mention guys like him cause he's on the, on this, like this other side of it. Um, but I think that, uh, Like if he were to enter the field right now and he was 24, I, I, you know, he would have to be different to, to make it for sure. He couldn't do this, but there are a lot of skills that translate. Like he's very good at making uh, connections and sources and getting information from them uh, and those sort of things. And I think those type of skills are going to translate. He's a, he's a very good writer. Like if you can, and He's I've told this writer, to every yes. single person yeah, yeah. that has ever come through our doors, which is if you can write, all of the other stuff will start to come together mm, for you. Yeah. So if you can write, you're going to be fine. You're going to do better on podcasts. If you can write, you'll do better on video. Like for whatever reason, those things are very intertwined with just being uh, in tune with your words and, you know, connect. So like those skills translate. It's just can't, can people start using those skills in different ways than just, you know, what, what I, just, you know, straight reporting because the places that are employing just straight report reporters are getting more and more thin. Well, and, and here's the reason why I said what I said was just because <clears throat> I think that right now everybody expects you to build an audience. And so unless, you know, uh, so true. So I just think that it's really hard that way to build an audience. Um, you know, now if you do, if you are at the very, very top and you are breaking the news, which there's only less than a handful of guys per league nationwide that can do that, um, then you can. But outside of that, like. But here's a good example of like using those skills in a new format and turning that into a career. Benjamin Albright, you know, he's a guy who made connections got information and just posted it to Twitter and yeah, like to yeah, yeah. the newspaper people of the world. Like that's crazy. Like I I've heard a newspaper guy on the radio once say like, I don't understand why we're ever posting anything to Twitter. We should be saving everything Ugh. for the newspaper. You know, like why are we burying? Oh, I wonder if that picked up on the microphone. Yeah, I don't know. Revving engine outside. outside. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what it sounds like when someone's talking, oh, they're just revving their own engine. But like, that, that there are people who say that I can't like 
why are we ever posting any stories to Twitter or any scoops to Twitter? We should be posting everything in the newspaper. Whereas like a guy like Benjamin Albright comes along, makes some connections, gets some information and just posts it to Twitter, builds a massive following. And now he has a, you know, a nice uh, radio gig with KOA here in Denver. That's taking old school journalism skills and turning them into new school uh, tools. Yeah, totally. And, you know, uh, the other side of that is that, he, you know, Ben is community focused in the sense that he's responds to almost everybody who tweets at him. Um, even the people who shouldn't respond to, he does. And he knows that. Um, but <laughs> but uh, that people hey when you respond to people and you talk with people you interact with people then that's you know people appreciate that absolutely you know going back to like i couldn't imagine being cliss and just dumping stuff and then walking away and people everybody you know but i mean that's a whole nother that's a completely different you know it is that's a completely different subject and job description um let's let's talk about podcast um I wanted to get your point on this as the person who does more podcasts on this network than anybody is someone who's done more podcasts than anybody I know. <laughs> Maybe Portnoy does more podcasts than you. I don't know. He probably doesn't. Um, is, is that space too diluted right now? Is there still room? Can you still create successful podcasts? Absolutely. Can you do it from scratch or do you need to acquire something with traction? building podcasts from scratch no one knows understands how hard that is it's the hardest it, it's extremely extremely difficult it's so the number one hardest thing to create a podcast from scratch you got to have a lot of time um and in 2020 no one has that much time so the answer to me is yes as long as you have the resources to build from scratch the thing is, it is so diluted that it's going to take you a long time to, you know, climb above all the noise uh, and stand out. You know, we were lucky because I think we got in at the very last moment we could have from a podcast perspective to be where we are now. Um, you know, we were <laughs> sending out podcasts to 50 people before we even knew that that mattered, you know, just grinding and grinding and grinding and like, we, I really think that like, you, you know, when you like show up at a restaurant uh, and you go right to the front of the line, you order and you get your food. And by the time you sit down, there's a line out the door and you're just like, whew, we just dodged it. That's how I feel. We were with podcasts. Like we had consistency and we weren't relying on the podcast by any means. Um, and they just hit after a long time. You know, it was probably... What do you think, Brandon? A year, a year and a half after we started really doing podcasts, that the podcast that we were like, oh, yeah, we, I mean, we're on a this gold way. We we launched our first podcast in, uh, well, we launched our first team pods in January of 2016, and then we went daily in June of 2017, and we did our first hundred thousand download month in uh, December of 2017. Um, so a whole or, or, or like January of 2018, pretty much after subscription it was a couple months after. So it took us two years to reach as a network, a hundred thousand downloads. So that's my point. No one has that time now. 
you know, unless you're starting up a new thing and you're really willing to go grassroots and start from scratch and, you know, go door to door and tell people to listen to your podcast. But um, that's the hardest thing about podcasts is you really, it takes a lot of time. Um, and, w- you know, we build podcasts from scratch still here and, and it's, it's a grind. It's just, you know, you like, at least we have that perspective now. And that's another thing that I tell to a lot of young people, like you got to understand that your podcast is going to do nothing when you start it and you got to be consistent. And you'll, you, you know, one thing I'll say now is I'm glad, you know, you look back at some of your old work and you're like, man, I'm glad that had no audience because it wasn't very good. And then I figured it out. And over the time, you know, by the time people actually started listening to my podcast, I think it actually turned out to be a pretty good show. So, uh, your question was, is it too diluted? In a sense, yes, because it takes a really long time for the cream to rise to the top. But in the other sense, there is people will find entertainment. And if you are entertaining uh, and you bring something special and different to the fold, then I think you can you can be successful in any part of media, uh, especially in 2020 when you have so many different megaphones to get to cast your you know, uh, yourself out there by, you know, you can use Twitter as a tool. You can use TikTok as a, you know, you can be posting ca- uh, captions. I found multiple podcasts that I now listen to from seeing clips of their podcasts on TikTok. There's so many different avenues that you can show people what you've made rather than just posting to, I, you know, Apple podcasts. Cause if you just do that, it's, there's a like luck involved. You're going to have to get lucky that your show starts getting discovered and rated and all that stuff. But if you can use the channels that you can use to promote your stuff properly, then I think that you can come out of it uh, and really build an audience. Yeah. The social play is the biggest thing to me. I think that if you, there's a podcast that we sell um, like on our agency side that we don't produce, we don't have any connection to it other than they came to us with a really popular individual um, and said, hey, we're doing a pod. We're not sure how to monetize it. Can you help? And with our client and agency contacts, we were able to just get the pod sold for them and take a cut. <laughs> um, and, you know, that pod does incredibly good numbers and it's just from scratch and it's like from day one, but they have a massive social following. They bring on super heavy hitters as guests and like, you know, that's the only way I, in my opinion, that you can start from scratch with like a highly profitable podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And even if it's not like your social is going to be really important too. But how, how do people find out about podcasts, especially if you have some catchy nickname for your podcast that isn't related at all to what you're talking about directly, if someone's trying to search for it, the only way that people are going to find out about it is also through social. And that could be someone tweeting out, hey, this person's podcast is really good. And, you know, and if it's a, if it's a Avs podcast or whatever it may be, well, then that person's on Avs Twitter, two or three more people listen to it. And if it's actually good, again, I think it can catch on. But yeah, I mean, you know, we, I, I overheard a conversation uh, going down at our company about a, a separate podcast from another place. And they were like, oh, the host doesn't even have any social, it doesn't have any social media. They say they're against social media. And I'm just like, okay, well, that podcast is never going. It, it, it can't go anywhere. 
Right. There's so, no yeah. <laughs> the, the, like, then right. it, you can't have a podcast and not have and not promote it on social media. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's all synergistic. So, so it's like, uh, it, it's like if you are the more that, that you're on social and the more that you are, you know, adapted to digital and, and really, I mean, it's not even adapted, right? Because everything that we create is 100% for digital. Um, but the more that you're on social, the better that your podcast does, the more eyes that you're able to and ears that you're able to put your product in front of it, uh, you know, the more downloads it's going to do. And then on the other side, it's like even on the uh, advertising side, it's like the more people that the more eyeballs you can put on brands that are also digital the better those brands do. So if these are brands that, you know, like we have a great relationship with DraftKings, well, DraftKings is all about an app and it's about sports betting. So it's like, you know, we have this big social network on Twitter, for example, and we're able to tell all of these people on Twitter to listen to our podcasts and they do it on their phone, 95% of them. And then while they're on their phone, we're sending, we're telling them about products for their phone, right? Um, and then they're able to download it right there. And those succeed the highest. So it's, it's really turning, like this is kind of the world is turning into that. Uh, it's, it's all about synergies around social media, you know? And, yep. and the more compatible that it is, the better. And if you have to, if you're telling somebody to do something on social media. This is the craziest part of our business. We're watching people tell you're seeing sportscasters say like, Hey guys, we have breaking news coming at 8 PM tonight. Make sure you on your television, watch channel, whatever. And it's like, dude, that that's so crazy to me. Yeah. You're telling people on their phone to put their phone down and turn on a TV two hours from now. There's no synergy there. Right. Remember when Jay Glazer did that? <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah. I have um, huge NFL news. And it was something like some guy had COVID. It was like an early COVID case. Like, yeah. yeah and everyone yeah. was like, dude, screw you. You literally just like, first of all, use this person's health to like promote your TV show. Uh, and like easily could have just put this out in a tweet. Oh, man. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, and, and you'd think that there's probably someone in there that was like, hey, see if you can, you know, let's see how many, let, let's see how many viewers you can draw with this. Yeah. You know. Crazy. Yeah. See what you it's, can it's really true. Turn. Like little things like that, just trying to get someone to go from their device to somewhere else is a lot to ask. And it's just, you know, we, we deal a lot in conversion rates and all those sort of things. And you just know, like, as soon as you're asking for this extra step, your conversion rate just goes down dramatically. Yeah, the more steps, right, the further down it goes. Yep. Totally, totally. Well, let's get out of here. Um, I just wanted to just touch on a couple other kind of uh, basic questions on, on DNR, DNVR before we get out of here. But, um, you know, what do you think is the – when you kind of envision what this is uh, in the future um, over the next couple of years, 
and, and I'm talking just, just DNVR in particular, not expansion plans or anything. Um, on a content level, like, what's your vision? What are you thinking? Like, what does this look like? Man, I mean, there's a lot to that, but I think <clears throat> there's almost like the new age TV channel slash radio station in the sense where there is constant programming available for you. Like, you never have to wonder, like, what time is th- what time is this on or that on? Like, you pretty much know, like, if you go to the DNVR YouTube channel, there's going to be a show on. And, like, you obviously, if you're an Avs fan, you're going for the Avs stuff. If you're, but, like, if you're... Uh, you know, a Broncos fan, there's programming for you in that sense. Um, in like, <clears throat> I just think, you know, of this like synergy, which is a word we've used a lot here in terms of just like one thing after another, after another, after another, meaning there's no gaps, you know, like in radio, like what, what is it? White, uh, or like black noise or s- there's like a term <laughs> for like when there's nothing on. Yeah. Yeah. What is that called? I don't, I can't remember, but like that doesn't matter for us right now. Like it doesn't, you know, we, we're not worried about if someone goes to our YouTube channel, is something going to be live right now? But I think there will come a time when there's always something on. Mm. And I also think there will come a time where even during the games, there's some, there is DNVR content that you can be consuming. Um, and whether, you know, a lot of people might not know this term yet, but like second screen is becoming a big thing. Uh, in YouTubers and Twitch streamers and stuff like that, where, you know, like people are interested in watching someone that they're interested in, watch something that they're interested in. Um, And I think that there is a, there will come a time where the, you know, the classic broadcast, which is another thing that it's just been going on this way forever. No one's really taken a crack at it. Will, uh, will, will come challenged. Uh, and there will be people just like there are people now that want to, you know, consume old media. There'll be people who still say like, I want Kevin Harlan, like calling my game, et cetera, et cetera. But there will be other people who say like, I want to hear a local twist on this national game. Uh, and I think that that is, that's a big step, uh, for just, you know, our side of digital media, uh, ahead, but I think it's something that's coming eventually. Changing the way that we take in games is the next step in digital media, I think. What do you think this bar is like uh, in a post-COVID world? <laughs> um, like the coolest place in Denver. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know. I just think of some of the watch parties we had at like Blake Street Tavern during the Avs playoffs that were just like incredible. Uh, and we just didn't. Like we we got like fifty percent of that, you know. Um, we had like the atmosphere and like all the chants and all that stuff, but we didn't have that like packed house feel, which I just I, I don't know about you, like I crave that so deeply. Like yeah. every time I see a video of like fans like charging the field of like an old Buffs game or just like uh like a really loud eruption at a stadium, like it it like I just like crave that. I long for that. So. I think there will be a time where this place is just packed house. People are coming here to watch games. Um, we always had a vision of doing our post-game shows actually in the bar itself, yeah, yeah. not up here in the studio. Love that. um, that's another thing. Like people are coming and like asking questions, and not just like via um, YouTube comments, but like 
they're just coming up and we have like a headset set aside where like a fan can just throw on the headset really quick and be like, Hey, what do you guys think of like, uh, Michael Malone's rotation tonight? Like, I can't believe he played Kata Bates Diop so much. And like, you know, Adam answers that question. Like, then they like go back to their beer. Like, I just, I think there's so, so much that we haven't done yet. And it bums me out that like, this has gone on for so long that people don't, haven't been able to see what our original vision was for this place and a lot of people have been here a lot of times with still not being able to see what our original vision is to this place so i can't wait for when things go back to normal and we can almost have like the rebirth of the dnvr bar you're starting a company um and you can either start with a ten thousand person category specific email list or fifty thousand twitter followers well, this is kind of a loaded question for me just because I'm a Twitter guy. So like I know, that's what I want to know. I'll t- well, I guess it's me. So I feel confident in being able to build the Twitter following organically. Okay. So I'll take I'll take the email oh, list. Oh, I thought you would be the one to take the uh Well, the, the, I was the and then I realized like I don't know how to build an email list. <laughs> but I do know how to build a Twitter following. <laughs> So I'll take I'll take the email list, have that in the back pocket, and then uh, and then build the Twitter following on my own. Yeah, the email list sounds so powerful to me. You know, again, those that, convert it converts so high. You know, it kind of reminds me of like a podcast in the sense of like there's not like a direct way where you where you just like know how to reach people with a podcast. Like if you just send out an email a bunch. It doesn't like start going to more people the same way that if you just make a podcast a bunch, it doesn't just start going to more people. Like yeah, yeah. you have to build it through other ways. Whereas Twitter, like you just got to create good content on Twitter and people will come find you. You know what I actually think is like the most powerful thing, the most powerful connection beyond, you know, posting something on social to somebody or, um, sending someone an email or anything is and it's the most underutilized is dms i think dms like are like even like they're like social but but this as personal as email i would say more personal more personal than email and like i i read every dm that i get uh, sometimes it's a lot more than others. If I don't say anything or ask or talk about anything in particular, then I maybe only get a couple of week or whatever. But if I open it up, even if I open it up and say, Hey, um, you know, if anyone needs some help, shoot me a DM and I can, and I get a bunch like I, I will say, it, regardless, I guess what I'm saying is that I, I will probably read all of my DM. And, and maybe if I was like, Jack Dorsey, I I, I probably couldn't, uh, or Gary V or something. But I, you know, I think like anything under probably like a couple hundred thousand Twitter followers, and you're probably reading every DM that you get. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I just think like, man, if there's somebody that you're trying to reach or that you want to get a hold of or something you're trying to do, a a, 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 a like a concisely well thought out DM is like so strong to me. It is. We're different though because we're so digitally focused. Like I think that like, um, like a CEO of like a like a different company 
might have a different take on this. Like, yeah, yeah. don't come in my DMs asking for a job. You know, like send me a formal email with a yeah, resume yeah, attached. Yeah. You know, like, so I I I am like exponentially more reachable via DM than I am via email. Um, but I think we're a little bit different in that sense. Right now, my DMs are just full of people asking me for this mac and cheese recipe that I teased on the on the DNVR Broncos podcast. You have a mac and cheese recipe? Yeah. How come I haven't heard of this or tasted it or anything? Well, because it's new. Usually for our friends giving at, at DNVR, someone else offers to make the mac and cheese, so I bring the stuffing. Yeah, I love, that's my, I love your stuffing. Yeah, that's my go-to Thanksgiving dish. But the thing, the other thing that I bring to my family's Thanksgiving is uh, is the mac and cheese, and you'll especially love it because it's green chili mac and cheese. Oh, it just it has like hatch little pieces of hatch green chili in there. Yep. And then uh, I'm not giving anything else away. So here's my thing. Uh, what do you put anything on top of it? Do you put like the? Um, I'll do uh, the. So I, I know there's a big thing on right now. Big argument about breadcrumbs, no breadcrumbs on 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 mac and cheese. Oh really? I didn't know that debate was out there. It just depends for me. Like it definitely doesn't change to me. It's a presentation thing, right? You get like an extra layer of cheese on top, and then put the breadcrumbs above that. Yeah. Now you've got too. this melty cheese yep. and like toasted breadcrumbs. It looks incredible. Me too. Yeah. Um, I, agree. But I don't think it has that much of an impact on the taste. Okay. okay. So I'll do it sometimes. I'll do. I'll not do it other times. But next time, I come over for a, a family barbecue. I'll okay. bring. I'll bring my mac and cheese. Okay. Okay. Bet. <laughs> Bet. That'll do it. Thanks for coming on, bro. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon.